Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, <laughs> thinking that you're just going to love her latest selection. And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they suggested. That's us. Mm-hmm. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read, I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, that invite magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction, fantasy, and occasionally historical fiction rule. <laughs> I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep all that space nonsense. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books. Each month, we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. So even if a book isn't entirely your style, it may have some redeeming qualities to it, right? I guess we'll see. We will see. We will see. Okay, so can I just say right off the bat here that um, if I start to doze... It's not because I'm bored. I'm exhausted. Oh, why? Oh, it could have been the 46 hours Mm. that I listened to Cleopatra. Uh I'm almost positive that you sped up the pace on it. I I did after I had. Oh, it's such a sad story. Um, Yes, I actually had to. I, I went against my principles here. Because I had to get it on Audible. I don't pay for books, Jessica. I, know, I work I know. for a I'm library. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yes. So I had to get it you on could Audible. You could have read it in print, you know. Yeah. It, <laughs> it mocked me for about three weeks mm. on my nightstand. And I finally was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So I returned the book so someone else could read it or have it mocking them on their nightstand. Mm-hmm. And I did Audible, and I wasn't sure because I'd never signed up for Audible before. Wasn't sure if it was going to disappear when I <sighs> canceled my free subscription. Yeah. So I did, in fact, the last uh, six hours, no, maybe three hours. It was on 125 instead of, you know, just regular Oof. speed. Yeah. Well, I also went against my principles with Uh this book. So, you know, normally I start the book the evening before we record (laughs) and I finish the morning of the recording. And this time, because it is uh, 960 some odd pages Mm -hmm. in print and 46 hours in audio, Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I should really give myself a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. So I started three days in advance. And um, boy, howdy, was... (laughs) Was that a hard battle to to fight with myself? Because, you know, principles are sacred. You need to value them. And when did you finish? Uh, Last night. So you've already forgotten the whole book? No, I've got excellent notes. Okay. I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it. And I had read this book, it must have been late high school or early college. So it had been... Probably both because it took that long. (laughs) No. Through high school. I have always been a fast reader. (laughs) Um, So there was a lot in here that... Like little sensory memories. You go, oh, I kind of remember that. I don't remember the details, but I I get the gist of what's happening here. So that might have helped me plow through this a little Mm -hmm. bit faster as well. Well, let's do the spoiler alert, even Mm -hmm. though there really shouldn't be a spoiler alert for this one because (laughs) it's Cleopatra. um, And it is historical fiction, so it's based on her life, but it is a fictionalized fiction. Yes. And I'm not getting the verb right. Fictionalized. Okay. Yeah. I I like that. Good. Um, So now's the time for us to warn you that we're going to discuss the whole book, including the part that she dies. Mm -hmm. Surprise. It was 2,000 (laughs) years ago. (laughs) Including any ending or magical twists. If you haven't yet read Cleopatra and don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us after you've read it or maybe not read it 
or maybe read some of it and decided that's maybe enough. I, you know, I try so hard to give you gifts for the holidays. This is a holiday-ish episode, by the way. We're mm-hmm. we're recording, you know, around the holiday season. Mm-hmm. And this is not my typical no. book. No. But when I selected it, I thought, you know what? Christine deserves a break. Mm. She needs me to give her the gift of reading something that she may actually have a chance of enjoying. So I <laughs> so I think so you gave me a lot of it. <laughs> I did. I wanted to really test your perseverance on this one. But well, also we had time off for the holidays, so I figured, well, you just said read, it'll be fine. Um, this is a historical fiction novel, which is not my normal jam, but there's enough elements of um, kind of mysticism mm-hmm. embodied in their their spirituality and the processes that they use that I thought, okay, it, it's borderline, but it's, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me, let me tell you a little bit about our author before we really dive into what I am sure will be titillating factoids from you about how much you enjoyed all 46 hours of it. All 46 of them. Let and, me count the ways. And wish you hadn't had to speed through it because you wanted longer to enjoy the book. Well, I just want to know when volume two comes out. Interesting. Her, is that the ghost of Cleopatra? I don't know. I mean, you're the one that reads all the series. That's true. That's true. Well, Ms. Margaret George, um, she's written seven or eight books. Almost all of them are standalone. So she picks um, like historical figures that she knows she can get a lot of source resource information Mm -hmm. on. So she's done them on um, Henry VIII, uh, Elizabeth I, uh, Mary Queen of Scots, of others that I am apparently sure. blinking, Helena Troy, um, Mary called Magdalena, and then the only one that she's done a two for on so far is her newest book. So she's done two books on Nero. Hmm. She did one before he came to power and one after he came into power. So wow. most of them are standalone, mm-hmm. which is fine because, mm-hmm. as you said, they are almost a thousand pages. They're a they're, bit of a doorstop. They're kind of trilogies just bound together. That's a lovely way to think of it. Mm-hmm. So that does not mean that you get to pick the next three books, though. <laughs> This is still a monthly back and forth. You don't, you don't get to foist your books on me for that long. I we feel like we that's have not to, true. We have to enjoy some of my fun ones. Mm. But I thought I had um, not paid much attention to her as an author when I read them previously. Mm-hmm. Fascinating backstory. You know, I um, ran out of time. <laughs> and so I didn't do the normal mm. research. Or I was asleep. I, it was one of the two. I don't know. I, it was, I was delirious. So tell me about it. Me sometimes, <laughs> or most of the time. <laughs> so she, this is an American author, but come on, her. F- I know every once in a while I pick a non-Brit. No, no, no. I'm, I'm. That stuns me for that reason too. But really, oh yeah. But <laughs> this, I mean, all the people with the exception of Nero and Cleopatra. Yeah. Brit, 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 Brit. No, she's she, she's a Anglophile, is what she is. She may be. So okay. she's an American, but her father was in the Foreign Service. Okay. So she grew up in Taiwan, in Tel Aviv. Um, she lived in Berlin for a while, hmm. uh, in Sweden at some point. And then she came back and she went to school in D.C. Huh. And she's got degrees in English Lit, Biology, and Ecology. So she's got all wow. this kind of fascinating background. And she never really planned to be a book author. She was a... Um, like a copywriter, a science writer for the National Cancer Institute for a while. I know, fascinating. And But she had always had this love of research. So, you know, there's a little library connection in there. <laughs> and um, she had had the idea for her first book, which was Henry VIII, almost 14 years before she completed the book. 
and oh, pass it on. God. Because her writing method is so intense. She doesn't start writing until after she has done every ounce of research she can find from historical source documentation. So more power to her. I don't think I have that kind of new no. intent no. behind it. But then you get these wonderful lengthy mm -hmm. uh, epic mm -hmm. there we go that's that a better word that is epic historical books that are built as much as she can on fact and then fleshed out mm -hmm. with her dramatization of it mm -hmm. um, and one of the things i thought was really interesting i know we'll quote here the first book she wrote about henry the eighth um she she said um it was in St. Louis that she suddenly got the idea for reading a psychobiography <laughs> of Henry VIII. She had never seen such a thing done, but became convinced that the king was a victim of bad PR and that she should rescue his good name. Nice. And she's done that, tried to do that with a couple of people. Yeah. So like with Cleopatra, um, most of the documentation that's still around is Roman. Sure. And it's all the bad stuff that they've said about her. So right. all the things that we typically think about about Cleopatra is very... One-sided. Yes. So, anyways, just thought she was really fascinating. She keeps pet tortoises. Hmm. Because, you know, why not? Little land tortoises, not even like little I, sea I'm tortoises. speechless. I don't even know what to say about that. I just, I'm trying to flesh out yeah. her, her persona for you since you didn't have time to I really do the research. That's true. I'm not going to call you a slacker, but I am going to say, like, maybe maybe time management. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Again, if I fall asleep, just prod me. <laughs> Okay, well, with that, I feel like you've got enough on here. What did you actually think of the book, even though it took you a while and you napped through part of it? I did not nap through mm. any of it. I was I was riveted. No, actually, I liked it a lot. It is, it is as you said, up my alley. I'm I enjoy historical fiction because, generally speaking, it's a an easier way to learn for me than reading huh. just the the fact history part. You know, it's yeah. it's more engaging. Um, I will say that she. I think she needed a good editor. <laughs> or wait, wait. She may have had a good editor. She needed a more ruthless editor. Ooh, okay. I think okay. I think that could have been cut down by a third. Um, I don't disagree. So, yeah. and I love. It's clearly a passion of hers. Yeah. And one of the things that I really, really appreciated um, was that at the end of the book, she gives the. She gives you the understanding of what she made up yes. and what's accurate. And um, so I always appreciate that because one of the reasons that I read historical fiction is because I don't know anything about the time period. And so mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for me to kind of dip my toe in. And so but at the end of it, if I don't know what part was fictionalized and what part was true, uh -huh. then I'm kind of a chump and I believe all of it. And so <laughs> you're at a dinner party saying, let me tell you about all these exactly. things I just learned. And they're all true. Completely wrong. Um, Who's going to call you on it, though? This happened 2000 years ago. They don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I, you know, I would I appreciate when authors go to their trouble of saying this part is not true or yeah. I made up this character because we needed to get a, have a way to get inside her head. Sure. And they do that with like secretaries and um, uh, servants or okay, um, yeah, giving you a different viewpoint or getting into the, your, their intimate chamber. Like yes, we had okay. um, uh, Charmian and mm -hmm. Iris yes. here so that we could figure out um, how she chose to dress for dinners yes. because otherwise she's not going to talk about that. Yeah. No, here's my new dress that I'm putting on right now. And, and Charmian was like, oh, no, madam, you can't wear that. That's way too tacky or that's way too risque or whatever. So um, that gives you a little bit of the flavor of what she would have been thinking and what she would – how she was trying to impress or not impress people. And so, yeah. you know, I appreciate that. Um, 
Well, and I, it's obviously a passion of hers. And so that's oh, kind yeah. of fun just to see somebody's hardcore passion, even if it's not one that I mean, don't get me wrong. I was totally interested. I read, um, I think, Stacy Schiff, is mm-hmm. that her name, had a biography about Cleopatra maybe 10 years ago. Okay. And it was probably about as long, and I read it and enjoyed it thoroughly and don't remember very much. So there was a lot that was <laughs> new again to me in this. It's fresh. It's fresh in there. <laughs> well, you know, your comment about wanting to ensure that the, the facts that are put out there are accurate mm-hmm. and that the things we're sharing are, are are truthful as much as that we can ascertain. You know, this storyline took place during her entire lifespan, which mm-hmm. was um, uh, like 69 BCE to 30-ish. Mm-hmm. So 2,000 plus years ago. Right. And I felt a little silly reading it because it's been a long time since I had to take history class. <laughs> and I do not typically read nonfiction right. historical stuff. So she's saying all these things, and I'm like, is that real? Did that really happen? Was Rome really that big? <laughs> so I had to go and, like, fact check myself as I was going through it. So I'm reading, and, you know, this book's pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. And then I've got my phone next to me. I'm like, where is this? <laughs> what did that mean? Because um, there's a lot of um, – you don't need a dictionary next to you with this book. Oh, yeah, you do. No, you don't. There's a couple words in there that you're like, eh, I don't know about that. I'm just going to gloss over it. But the places were what really yeah. caught me up. So I wrote down a few of them. Um, you know, again, this is ancient, kind of mm-hmm. 22,000 years ago, through the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. North Africa, Middle East. So they used terms like Parthia, mm-hmm. which you told me yesterday was Iran. I, Iran. Um, Asia Minor, which mm-hmm. I looked up today, parts of Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, further Spain. I enjoyed that. Yeah. That's Portugal and parts of Spain? Yeah. Somewhere in there. And then this one, Gaul. Gaul, Gaul, Gaul has confuddled me for many years. Because oh, why? For a while, I thought it was Britain. Oh, no. It's not. It's mostly Germany. I think it's France. <laughs> okay. I have a map. <laughs> I do indeed have a map. It's at the beginning of the book. So I suffered. Because you didn't have a map. Because I didn't have a map. So Gaul on our little map is, oh, you're right. I think it is well, it's all over the place. It's transalpine. So it's Switzerland is in there, too. Sure. Anyways, so they're saying these places and phrases in the book, and you're like, hmm, okay. I have a vague idea of where this is happening. See, I didn't even try. I was like, <laughs> oh, it's a place. It's a place name. But a lot of the book was around military campaigns. Mm-hmm. So, Which, again, not going to try. Okay. Again, I'm not going to call you a slacker, but if if they're talking about military campaigns and they're saying, oh, it took us 60 days to get from here to here, I want to try and frame that in my head. Like, right. how long would that take today right. versus, you know, a couple of the campaigns they were talking about using elephants right. and how when Caesar was doing it, he had developed all of these tactics so that his gladiators and legionnaires would be able to take down the elephants really quickly. Right. And then the rest of the uh, forces that they were working in would scatter. Right. But like, how long is it going to take you to get from apparently France <laughs> to Iran with further an France? So further France. <laughs> well, yes, I agree with all of that, and I am always stunned when they talk about um, how far the troops would march in a day. Oh, good and golly! And they're carrying everything that they're carrying. They yes. carry three days of food and three days of water, yep. and all of their they had the breastplates and the. Mm-hmm. Bows and yep. arrows and 
clubs and all mm-hmm. kinds of crazy wacko weapons. It, yeah, heavy. Like yeah. I'm not doing that. No. I, I would not be a good soldier. Nope. Props to all the soldiers out there. I'm not. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Thank you for your service. Um, I suppose for those who have not read this and haven't done any other biographies or historical accounts of Cleopatra, I should give a very brief, not 900 page overview. <laughs> Okay, you just mute that. Maybe take a pillow and hide in a corner for a second. So the book starts when she's three. And this was part of the um, fictionalized portion. So it starts with the death of her mother. And it goes through her early adolescence living in the court in Alexandria in Egypt. Her father is deposed by her sister. Rome comes in to support her father. Um, Then she gets ousted by a different sister or her brother i can't remember there's there's a lot of siblings um and they all marry each other and that's weird it it is their divine requirements Mm -hmm. apparently so she's out in the desert trying to rally troops she hides herself in a rug and gets shipped into alexandria to caesar to I try love that part. I that and that's apparently real. favorite part of the book is yeah. that she gets wound up in a rug and they <laughs> shake it out and he goes, wow, look at that. <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> and she's not dressed fancy. Like, she's dirty. She's covered in, like, rug dirt. <laughs> Dust bunnies. And they go to bed together immediately afterwards. You know? Uh, so she had some appeal. Apparently... <laughs> Rug, odor, better than perfume. You know what? She had that too. (laughs) Not in this particular moment. So she gets, she brings Caesar to her side. She does. Um, She has a child by him. He leaves, is conquering other places. Um, She meets him in Rome again at some point. Uh, Spoiler alert, he dies. (laughs) Winnie Weedy Weeky. He gets killed on the steps of the forum by Brutus and Cassius and a couple of the other ones. Um, she leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of other stuff happens. Mm-hmm. She meets Mark Anthony again. Uh, they get, they have kids. Then they get married. Then he's got other kids, and he's married to somebody else. It's like a soap opera. Oh yeah. So I had a couple of notes where I had said like the soap opera continues, <laughs> and what's going to happen next? You know, you can just imagine the trailers if it was a TV <laughs> right. show. Like, who's Mark Anthony going to sleep with next time? He's already got nine kids. What's going to happen? And what version of the? Uh, uh, what is it when you amnesia? She's gonna wake up and have <laughs> a twin. Well, her siblings kept coming back to life, That's except true. it was people who were pretending Posers. to try and gain the throne. Right. So throughout all of this, Caesar's great nephew Octavian comes mm-hmm. to power, and he and Mark Anthony split power, and then they're fighting each other. and And the book ends um, as Octavian comes to conquer Egypt. Mark Anthony is killed. Cleopatra. Um, uh, offs herself yes. by Adderbite, mm-hmm. um, and that's the end. Mm-hmm. You get a little kind of afterwards by her her doctor, but um, I had not forgotten she died. Yeah, because of how you know this happened a while ago, right? But I had forgotten the process for it. The snake flinging. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> she she had at an early point in the book she had visited this sacred snake place and seen someone else uh, purposefully. Mm-hmm. Um, end their 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 time on Earth by snake bite because mm-hmm. they were done, and apparently it's stuck in her head. And he he just takes in Margaret George's version of it at least. <laughs> yes, he takes the snake by the head and just goes whap and smacks it to his chest until it gets and mad the, enough that it bites him. And the him. snake's like whoa 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 whoa. Yeah, and then it goes yeah I'm not doing this anymore and bites him and he dies. Yep, quickly. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it was um, very soap opera-y, but also you can see these chain of events unfolding. Mm-hmm. It was, um, for all that it was extremely lengthy, and I do agree it could have been cut down. And there were bunches of little weird side characters that mm-hmm. were never filled out. So, like, right. you would go to dinner parties and there would be paragraphs full of, like, and we met this person and then we met this person. You never meet them again. Right. Like, I didn't need to know those people's names. Right. And they're all the same names. <laughs> That is a true statement. And she even makes fun of that. She says, in Rome, you only have, like, five names. Yeah. And so there's different versions of the five names. And you order them differently. Yeah. Well, there's Octavia and his sister Octavia. Octavia. Yes. Yes. Well, and Mark Anthony has two daughters named Antonia. Of course. A son named Antilius and Anthony. Um, and then Cleopatra herself, her mother's name. At the beginning of the book, they talked about how the men and women of the Ptolemaic line, they only had certain names they could use. Yeah. So for the men, it was almost always Ptolemy, Ptolemy or Alexander. Mm-hmm. And for the women, it was Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Yep. So um, her mom's name was Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Her oldest sister's name was Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. She was Cleopatra. She named one of her daughters Cleopatra. Yep. And um, that seems confusing, particularly when you're marrying your own siblings. <laughs> so... <laughs> Because in this story, wait, wait, maybe that helps. Because oops, one of them dies. Then you marry the other one. Yeah, Same it's, name. It's fine. We don't even need to change the paperwork. It's, no, no worries about that. Well, so she's married four times in this book. She's married to her younger brother, her younger, her her younger brother, and then Caesar. Wait, and is the, she married to two younger brothers? Yes. Yeah. She gets married to both of them, okay. Caesar and Mark Anthony. But, like, she's married to a five-year-old at one point. Yeah, that's just weird. I mean, I respect cultural differences and all that, but... <laughs> Even she's that's like, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that's, I'm not, that's not happening. So one of the things that I did not appreciate, and maybe I just glossed over in the Stacey Schiff biography, mm-hmm. um, was that she uh, is Greek. Her, oh, her yeah, line Macedonian. is Macedonian. Yep. And so um, she was one of the first Ptolemaic rulers that learned Egyptian, so yep. she could actually communicate with her subjects as they were. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, kind of revolutionary. Good on her. And she was apparently very good with languages. Uh-huh. She spoke many of them. Yes. And, uh, yeah, she was she was pretty righteous. She was. I loved that this author took the time to build, even if you didn't like why she did things mm-hmm. or the tactics she used for them or or her, um, she had convictions. Yeah. And she was going to – she wanted Egypt to prosper. Yep. So if that meant she had to uh, take on Roman spouses yep. or empty her treasury to support battles off of her own land or at the end to step down from mm-hmm. her queenhood so that her son could be the ruler of Egypt, she was going to do it. And she – Took out all the grain stores yes. um, when the the Nile didn't cooperate, yep. and yeah, she was a very, I mean, she definitely had the luxurious life, but mm-hmm. she had an awful lot of responsibility, and she took it seriously, according again to the book. Yes, well, I think that this type of book, you're right. When you read history, like mm-hmm. you're in school, it's very dry. Mm-hmm. When you read this, it's a person, sure, and even if it's not all accurate, it makes you feel connected. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think Margaret George did a really nice job because um, Caesar, Antony, and Cleopatra, the the main people in the book, Mm. um, were all flawed and very human and, you know, sometimes petty and stupid and through temper tantrums. But they were often very honorable, and so they were, I think, very um, appealing and understandable and relatable. Agreed. Um, And I think that's probably a real challenge, especially because even— I mean, you 
know who they are, and I'm using air quotes, mm. but I don't know anything about, you know, yeah. what their lives really were. So I think she did a nice job with that. So I had these funny little random moments that amused me in the book, and I don't know if they amused you as well, but I thought I'd share <laughs> them. So early on in the book, when Cleopatra's still a child, she and her friends are trying to figure out who would win in a fight between a hippo and a crocodile. Right. And they're arguing back and forth. And I was like, I, I don't know. Who would win? Right. I, I, I still have no clue. Right. So that well, t- tickled my funny bone. Absolutely. And I think that's a completely necessary argument to have. The one we always had was bear or a lion. Okay. Didn't have that I one either. I think those are equally yeah. necessary. Who's, who's going to trample who first? Right. Well, yes. it depends on does the bear, like, if it gets one swat at the lion, it could be all over. That's true. Or it sits on it. Because <laughs> bear's big. <laughs> and then the... Um, Kandake of oh, Nubia, the, the queen. Kandake she rocks. was awesome. Yeah. I wanted to be her friend, and I want a book about her. But my favorite part about her was, so she is purposefully quite large, mm-hmm. because that is how it was shown in her country at that time that you were um, a woman in power. Yep. You had to be very large. Yes. But she also, at one point, she took off her shoe, and she put her foot in Cleopatra's face, and she said, look at this. And she had <laughs> tiny people tattooed on the bottom of her feet, so that when she walked, she was stepping on her enemies. <laughs> Wow, I kind of want to do that. She was awesome. I thought she was a fabulous um, part of the book and (laughs) highly entertaining and um, a part of history that I never otherwise would have bumped into. Nope. You know, so yeah, I loved that part. She was a good a good sport. She in this. lured Cleopatra uh-huh. to her country to say, hey, man, let's have this sistership <laughs> where we can kind of bust all these guys. Well, and it was very entertaining. So my last little funny moment was um, in Alexandria at one point, Antony is feeling kind of down. Mm-hmm. And so he decides to throw himself some gladiatorial games mm-hmm. called the Ptolemaea. That's not correct, but okay. it, it's like sports stuff. Uh-huh. And they're getting ready to do one specific piece of it and this older athlete who's really like a, a desk writer guy right. um he says oh i have neglected you my faithful body the mind has held you captive body revenge yourself now because he was a scholar so he had this like withered old body and he knew he wasn't going to get very far but he was going to try and he did it naked they were not entirely naked. He was. Okay, he might have been. Yeah, but that was the part i was like really of all the people who were like all right i'm going to do it Honestly, and yeah. like the uh, the way that yeah. the Olympians did, he was the one that was like, "Yeah, I'm going. Go big I'm or doing go it. home. I'm doing it. I'm doing it." <laughs> yeah, this book was it was fascinating to me to reread it. the The history part, the little moments and insights into the humanity of this historical figure. Yeah. It was it was good. I'm glad I reread it. Yeah, I did not remember at the start of this how long it was <laughs> or how long you would have to listen. So I do I'm not going to call you a liar. I'm, I do apologize. I'm not going to call you a liar, but you're a liar. I didn't remember quite how long. Mm. I thought maybe 600. Hmm. And then it was more than that. It should have been 600. That's what we agreed <laughs> on. So one of the mm. I I enjoyed the book um I think I would have enjoyed it more if there hadn't been a deadline. I felt like I was a little bit in school because, Aww. like, oh, my God, I got to finish this book. Yeah. Oh, my God, I got to finish this book. Yeah. So if I didn't have that kind of hanging over me, I probably would have enjoyed it a little bit more. But yeah. that's my own, you know, like, well, when, non-rule breaker. When you're feeling it, not on a timeline. Yes. My other book that I really enjoyed by her was Mary, Queen of Scotland and the Isles. Okay. So don't, don't can... tell me when you start it because then I'll say, hey, you've got a month. Quick, quick, <laughs> go, go, deadline. <laughs> and I will say that. Um, while I liked the writing and I thought Margaret George did a nice job, 
one of the things that I that was there a little too often for me was all of her woeing to ISIS. The, oh yeah, the direct addresses of ISIS mm-hmm. were. There's borderline le- irritating. Less of that in Mary Queen Scots. I hope so. FYI. <laughs> so tell me, what do you? Uh, what What's my punishment next month for for oh. your almost more than a full work week of reading? Well, I've decided to punish you later, Ooh, so okay. that you can stew about it for a little while. Good. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. The dish best served cold kind of issue. Yeah. Um, But next month, we're going to read a book called The Maze at Windermere by Gregory Blake Smith. Is he British? I think he's American. I know. He's got a lot of names. Um, And it does sound like he should be British. It does. Um, But it is, um, it takes place in Newport, Rhode Island, and over a length of time. And it was published in 2018. So it's fairly recent and contemporary. And for all you Fairfax County Public Library uh, folks, there are copies available. I made sure to check that we didn't have a long <laughs> waiting list because normally when we select the books for the podcast, we make sure that the library owns the books and yeah. that there are lots of copies available. And sometimes when there are um, newer titles, we yeah. wait a little while so that the holds yeah. list can die down. So yeah, so it's The Maze at Windermere by Gregory Blake Smith. And it is historical fiction. So I Whoa. figured we were on this roll... And maybe it will show you what an editor. Interesting. How it should be whittled down a little so bit. So really to continue this, I've already picked what book we're going to read after yours. Uh-huh. And it's also not a historical fiction. It's definitely fantasy, but it has historical aspects to it. We're going to be so historically. I feel like we're going to be really well educated when we're done with this. <laughs> I mean, my book, obviously, was the pedestal upon all other educational opportunities. I'm exhausted. You're I have welcome. to go take a nap. Well, I mean, OK. Do what you need to. So thank you for joining us on your Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can grab these books and lots more at your local library. Join us next month when we will be reading The Maze at Windermere by Gregory Blake Smith, TBD, American or British. We don't know yet. Thank you and keep on reading. Mm